from the initial market recommendation from yourselves and the choosing of the property right through to the leasing process with the property manager, everyone has been just totally professional and the communication is excellent, especially with being such a, a long distance away. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1318-1318, and greetings from beautiful, absolutely charming, Super awesome. Well, I've greeted you from here before, but I'm back. Sarasota, Florida. Sarasota, Florida. Our Venture Alliance member Jeff lives here, and uh, we were talking about it in the Venture Alliance chat yesterday about just how this town has just remade itself. It's truly amazing. What an absolutely charming place. And, uh, you know, I was here uh, less than a year ago. Just was, again, I was impressed then, and I'm impressed again. What a great place. I'm here for a mastermind meeting all week long. This group, I paid $5,000 to come as a guest to this meeting. Uh, and uh, maybe I'll join. I don't know. It's not cheap. It's twenty five grand a year. <laughs> yeah. You know, who would have thunk it, by the way, that mastermind groups can charge $25,000 for four meetings? You know, <laughs> it's really, really something. But in the age of information where value is created not through necessarily through physical assets. And at the recent Profits in Paradise event, I talked a lot about this and and Alvin Toffler's book that I read way back in maybe 1990, give or take. Sadly, I, I didn't get to interview Alvin Toffler or Heidi Toffler, his wife on the show, before he passed away, but um, just an amazing futurist. And, and he wrote many books. One that I, I liked the most was called Power Shift, where he talked about the three forms of power through history, first one being the ability to inflict violence. That was a form of power through the warlords or, or whatever it be. And then a higher grade form of power, the power of capital, the ability to throw money around and control things with money. And then the third form of power, the highest grade form of power, information. And we obviously are still living in the information age. I, I wonder what age will be next after information. What will be the fourth wave, if you will. If you have any thoughts on this, by the way, I'd love to hear from you. You can either reach out to me on Voxer with your thoughts. And by the way, I've been collecting some of your Voxer thoughts. When you do reach out to me on Voxer, just know that I may play your message on the air because some of you have some really, really bright interesting comments. So uh, look for those in future episodes, but also at jasonhartman.com slash ask. Just go to jasonhartman.com slash ask, and you might have a comment. It doesn't need to be a question. I know it says ask, but you can also tell. You can ask or tell at jasonhartman.com slash 
ask, and we'd love to hear from you. And that's the power of information, though. One of the things you want to keep in mind as you pursue the goal of being a great income property investor or a great entrepreneur or a great parent or a great spouse or a great whatever, anything we want to do, here it is. You ready? This is a little pearl of wisdom. It's a gem. You ready? Are you ready? Here it comes. It's not how, it's who. It's not how, it's who. And what that means is that the value of a network, the value of a mastermind group, even when it's 25000 bucks a year or more, I know of mastermind groups that are a quarter of a million dollars a year. I know, that sounds insane, doesn't it? It is kind of insane, but it could be worth it. You know, if there's enough scalability in whatever plan you have, that can be well worth it. It can be well worth it. Anyway, our guest today will be Allie Wolf. She is the chief economist with Myers Research, and I did a very lengthy interview with her, uh, about 90 minutes. We will only play a small portion of it today, but uh, look for future uh, parts of this interview, and we'll kind of drip them out to you to sort of break it up. But Allie is super interesting. She's great. She will be back today for um, a part of this long interview that we did that was really quite fascinating, quite fascinating. Also, we're going to play some of this on our YouTube channel. That will be because she did share some graphs and some images in this interview uh, that I think will be interesting to you. But we always try, even if it is a visual thing, we try to explain it and make it very relevant to audio-only listeners. I love the audio format because it is portable. Video, not so much, not so portable as audio. You know, you can listen to it anywhere you are, anywhere you go. And speaking of listening, I want to make a recommendation. And this came from our second Venture Alliance Mastermind member, and that was Chris. And Chris recommended to me a fantastic app. I remember I was working out with him in the gym one day in San Diego. When I lived there, when I lived in La Jolla, he said, hey, why don't you come to my gym as a guest? I'll take you. And so I came and we had a workout. And he recommended this great app that I want to recommend to you. I just started using it again. I'm not quite sure why I forgot about it. But it's called Tabata Pro, T-A-B-A-T-A Pro. And what this does is it uses the principle of HIT training, high-intensity interval training. That is commonly thought of, and I've done some interviews on my longevity and biohacking podcast about it. It is commonly believed to be the best way to exercise. Basically, what you do is you, you raise your heart rate and you work really hard for a short burst and then you rest. And then you do it again and you do these intervals. No big deal there. But the great thing about this little app, there's a free version and a pro version, and I have no financial interest in this whatsoever. I just want you to live a better life because if you do not take time out now for good, healthy habits, for eating right, for exercise, for healthy habits, you will be forced to take time out later for sickness and infirmity. So we don't want that. We want you to live a long time. Enjoy the fruits of your real estate portfolio that we help you build for many, many years to come. The great thing about this little app 
is you can do these really short workouts. My girlfriend totally criticizes me because I do these really short workouts. When she's uh, visiting me, we'll go to the gym in my uh, association complex, and that's like, okay, I'll work out, and then I just go, and you know, she stays and works out longer. But I tell you, you can work out really efficiently and do your fitness in a much shorter time frame. This morning, I had a 5-minute and 20-second workout, and it was great. I feel awesome. Hey, it's early in the morning here. I'm about to go to my mastermind meeting. It's 8 a.m. sharp. And man, I feel good after my five minute and 20 second workout. So there's a lot of these things, right? This is not the only app. I just like this one, but I've tried a few of them. There's lots of different apps for this out there, but the concept of high intensity interval training and these short workouts, there's another one called like the seven minute workout or something, which I also thought was quite good. So check that out. Just a little handy tip. Now, also we talk a lot about commandment number three. What is commandment number three? Thou shalt maintain control. Thou shalt maintain control. When you're an investor, do not relinquish control of your investments to other people, okay? When you do that, you leave yourself susceptible to three major problems. Number one, you might be investing with a crook. Number two, you might be investing with an idiot, an imbecile. And either way, because of their dishonesty or their stupidity, you'll lose money. Third, assuming they're honest and competent, they take a huge management fee off the top for managing the deal. Well, we're talking about fitness this morning a little bit, right? With this Tabata app that I recommended. Actually, Chris recommended it to me, and thank you for that, Chris. Well, guess what? A fitness company is in the news for potentially defrauding their investors. Or maybe it's not defrauding. That might be too strong a word. I don't know. You can listen to yourself from the Wall Street Journal. Either way, there's some funny business going on, possibly some cooking of the books, some cooking of the books. Nothing has been determined yet, but it's under investigation. Here's a little clip from the Wall Street Journal. Under Armour shares slide on news of accounting probe by Khadija Safdar. Under Armour Inc. shares fell after the company confirmed it was the subject of a federal investigation into its accounting practices. Executives declined on an earnings call Monday to provide details about the probe or explain why Under Armour hadn't previously disclosed its existence, even though they had been responding to document requests for more than two years. We have been fully cooperating with these inquiries for nearly two and a half years, Under Armour Finance Chief David Bergman said. We firmly believe that our accounting practices and disclosures were appropriate. On Sunday, the Wall Street Journal reported that the Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission are examining the sportswear maker's revenue recognition practices and whether it shifted sales from quarter to quarter to make them appear stronger. After the Journal published the article, Under Armour said it's cooperating with investigators and that it began responding in July 2017 to requests for documents and information relating primarily to its accounting practices. So note, remember, think about this. If you were an investor in Under Armour after July of 2017... They didn't bother to disclose that they were under investigation, something that obviously could affect the quality of your investment. They just thought they would not mention that, right? Is that what the article is saying? Is that what it's saying? Really? And then the reason for the investigation is because they're shifting the sales recognition from quarter to quarter to make the sales look stronger. Well, don't take it from me. Go to the Wall Street Journal. And related disclosures. 
Under Armour's Class A shares dropped 15% to $17.91 in Monday morning trading. On the earnings call, an analyst asked how significant the investigation was and why investors were just hearing about it now. Mr. Bergman, a longtime company executive who took over as CFO in February 2017, said the company was prohibited from discussing the matter. So now we're focused on 2020 and beyond, he said. On the same call, Chairman and CEO Kevin Plank didn't address the matter. Under Armour said Monday that sales were flat in the third quarter, and it lowered its revenue forecast for the rest of the year as the company battles to return to the growth levels it once enjoyed. Sales decreased 4% in North America, Under Armour's biggest market. Nike Inc. and Lululemon Athletica Inc., meanwhile, have been growing sales in North America. Overall, though, profit and sales were better than Wall Street expected. The sportswear maker has been struggling with weak sales since 2017. Until then, it had been among the fastest-growing clothing brands, riding 26 straight quarters of at least 20% year-over-year revenue growth. The company moved to restructure operations, cutting jobs and hiring an outsider, Patrick Frisk, as president. He has been focusing on performance attire as rivals embrace athleisure and other fashion trends. Last month, the company said Mr. Plank was stepping down as CEO on January 1st, after more than 20 years in the role. Mr. Plank plans to stay at the company as executive chairman and brand chief, and Mr. Frisk will take over as CEO and continue reporting to Mr. Plank. I want to be clear is that I love Under Armour, and it is now to... Eh, whatever. Anyway, the point is, commandment number three, maintain control. Stop putting your investments in the control of Wall Street and all of these crooks out there. You know, you'll just lose your money. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. Now, by the way, um, you know, if you're going to do it, just do an index fund. Stop doing these single companies. This is just too risky. You know, thou shalt diversify another commandment. Okay. If you got to be in the stock market, just keep it simple. Right. Anyway, Under Armour, to its credit, though, did revolutionize the uh, sportswear business and, you know, the fitness clothing business, they really do have some high-tech views of, of the way this kind of clothing should be done. I mean, try and remember athletic clothing before Under Armour. I mean, I mean, you know, of course, there was Nike and Lululemon has, you know, had their own set of scandals, of course, as you probably heard in the news. Really, that was a, a shift, you know. It was a new way to look at it, which is pretty interesting. I own a lot of their clothing but I don't think I own any of their stock. (laughs) So there you go. That's fortunate. But commandment number three, thou shalt maintain control. Just get yourself some good properties and call it a day. You'll be in good shape. All right. Hey, without further ado, let's get to our guest. Go to jasonhartman.com to check out properties and reach out to an investment counselor because you need an investment counselor today. The properties are selling too swiftly to expect to find them on our website. But to help you do that, for what it's worth, subscribe to our Property Cast. Be sure you subscribe to the Property Cast podcast. Whatever podcast platform you're using, just also look up Jason Hartman Property Cast, and you will find it, and you will get property performas and projections right in your podcast feed. Really, really cool. So check that out. The Jason Hartman Property Cast. Totally unique idea. It was here first. The copycats be damned. I'm sure they will be out there, but I thought of it. Came out right out of my head. So there you go. Check out the Property Cast, and let's get to Ali Wolf, Chief Economist for Myers Research. I think you'll find this part of this long, long interview to be fascinating. 
It's my pleasure to welcome back a returning guest, and that is Allie Wolf. She's Director of Economic Research for Myers Research. Jeff Myers, the founder, is an old friend of mine from about 30 years ago. He has just built a great career on real estate market research, networking with developers and studying their sales cycles and everything. And over the course of many years, both he and Allie have come up with some great indicators about where the housing market is going, where the broader economy is going. And we're going to dive into that today. For those of you watching this on our YouTube channel, you can see the visuals because uh, Allie has her slide deck here for us as well. So Allie, welcome back. It's great to have you. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for inviting me. We're glad to have you. So you want to start off by talking about policy. And I guess uh, when you say that, you mean Fed policy, the central bank, right? Yes. Exactly. And how that impacts yeah. us as investors. How it impacts us as investors. And then we'll go into, I have the whole agenda here. We're going to start with actually the policy as it relates to the economy. Then we're going to talk about why does it even matter? Why do we care if the Fed's going to raise or lower rates? Discuss leading and lagging indicators, which I think are so often confused. And when you actually look at the data, you realize there's a completely different trend than what you believe to be true. Right. And then if we have time, we'll go through just housing in the short run and medium term. What could happen to housing in a recession based on what we've seen over the past few cycles? Fantastic. So leading versus lagging. Yeah, that's, I think, the most fun topic of all of them. What gets presented on the media is a lot different than what I think we really should be paying attention to. Good stuff. So which indicators do you like and which ones should people be watching? <laughs> That's a teaser. Consumer confidence. Be careful how you look at that. Same with job growth and same with GDP. Actually, all of the ones that you would say, oh, well, GDP is great. Job growth, great. Consumer confidence, great. Those are the ones that could actually get you in trouble. So we'll go through that a little bit later Excellent. in more detail. Excellent. All right. So just real quick, since I was last on your show, we went through a huge merger. So Myers Research was 150 people before. We had experts all across the country, and we were known for having the demand side data in the home building industry. So we could tell you what builders were selling the best, what price point was selling the best, what markets were selling the best. And we merged actually with our direct competitor, which was Metro Study and Hanley Wood. So now we're 600 people, and now they brought to the table all of the supply-side data so they can say where are the new opportunities, where is there new development, where are we seeing trends from the supply point of view. Excellent. Very interesting. Good stuff. Diving into the economy, and you'll see throughout my presentation, the theme is really growing but slowing. And that all feeds into why we are having the discussion in 2019 about the Fed cutting rates not raising rates anymore. Now we're talking about what would happen if the Fed cuts rates and why would the Fed be even talking about this when we've only raised rates nine times throughout this cycle. And from 2004 to 2006, we raised rates 17 times. Hmm. So very different place that all of a sudden we're saying, no, no, we need to lower rates down because we need to stimulate the overall economy. Now the Fed is trying to take everything into consideration. As you probably know, Jason, they're dual mandate is that they need to maintain maximum employment and price stability. So the Fed's looking at those indicators and they're saying, well, if you look at unemployment, we are close to a 49-year low and everything looks great. The employment market looks like it's on track. And the Fed's not silly enough to just look at this number and say, yeah, we feel good about this. They actually see some confusion in the data because over a year and a half ago, we crossed the point that there are more job openings 
than unemployed people to fill them, which would say the labor market's really tight. You got to be giving people more money. You got to be raising wages. And that chart in the bottom right is showing we're still at 3.1, wage growth. Allie, when you talk about wage growth and, and, you know, like Americans haven't had a raise since 1977, but recently, and, you know, maybe to Trump's credit, there have been some increases, but they're not enough to keep up with the cost, no. certainly of housing only, right? Yeah. And we'll hit on the difference between inflation, home prices and wages a little bit later. But to your point, if you look at wage growth minus inflation, then you're maybe getting so the how much you, the price of goods of items that you're buying right. is going up. You look at that difference. No, people are not getting huge wage increases that make the cost of living just all of a sudden easier. Right. So the Fed then when they're looking at maximum employment, they're saying, we don't know for sure that we're doing the job right because some of the stats look fantastic and some of the stats are still leaving them scratching their head. What's going on? They also want to look at inflation, where if you look at inflation over time, you want to be at 2%. That's your target level that prices will generally go up. Again, you would generally see wages going up over the same period. That's fantastic. But we haven't consistently been at 2% inflation since... 2008 and before. Mm -hmm. And so this is a problem because the Fed is basing their policy decisions on the fact that businesses are raising prices and we're seeing that broad increase and we're not seeing it. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, we created this inflation index, say over 30, 40 years ago. And is the economy the same place that it was 30, 40 years ago. It's definitely not. And Ali, you know, that's so interesting you bring that up in your presentation because, you know, of course, all of our listeners will say, well, look, the official inflation rate is not the real inflation rate. It's always understated. Most people agree with that nowadays. How much? It depends. It depends. Everybody has their own personal inflation rate because we all have different spending patterns. But an interesting article I read just this morning was that Goldman Sachs is uh, claiming that people are not counting and evaluating the economy correctly. They don't evaluate, for example, all these free services we have, like the Google products in the GDP. And what what I think is an, a really, now this is me talking, I would agree with that on its face, okay, the Goldman Sachs thing. But then I would also say, yeah, we're not evaluating that we get all this stuff for free, like, you know, the free Gmail, free this, that, and the other thing. And not just Google, but lots of companies offering free things. But we're also paying for that. And we are the product. We're paying with our information. You know, there's a big rebellion against this nowadays. Thankfully, needed to happen. You know, Facebook is not free, really. You're paying with your information. And and nobody knows how to account for that yet. But it's not counted as part of the GDP, is it? No. Same with, you can see in the bottom here, the technology. So now we have our iPhones that replace your need for your clock or your recorder or your GPS, where in the past, maybe they were raising prices. And now you have it all in your fingertips. And again, that's under the free category of Mm -hmm. having it in your phone. We have Amazon where you go to the store. I almost bought something for $30 and found it was $12 on Amazon and said, Mm -hmm. okay, I'll wait a day. So is the 2% target, whether or not you agree with how it's measured, should we even be looking at that? And is 2% the right target? Mm-hmm. And if it isn't, are we making policy mistakes by not actually changing policy to adjust for how the world has changed? We could have a three-day discussion on just this <laughs> issue. But what do you guys yeah. think over at Myers Research? 
Do you have an answer for this or is it kind of a rhetorical question? <laughs> it's, a, it's an awfully <laughs> big question. I do think it's a bit of a rhetorical question because I don't think I will try my hardest to try to change policy, but even GDP is measured the same as it was in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And so is the economy the same place as it was you know, that not. long ago, yeah. right before the Great Depression? No. So the whole point of that is saying the job growth picture is more fuzzy than you would initially think. Inflation, not even the Fed knows what the heck is going on with inflation, and that makes things fuzzy. And that puts us in this really weird position that the Fed then needs to step back and say, that's my dual mandate, but what else is going on in the broader picture? And the answer is, we saw the tax reform bill, awesome, gave more money back to Americans and a lot of markets, maybe not so much where I live in California, but there are other markets that saw a big benefit from the tax reform bill. And we saw CapEx really grow businesses investing in factories and manufacturing and in technology right after when they got that bump from the tax reform bill. And now we've seen bonuses to their people too. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, uh, and we've seen that was everyone. If your listeners hear about the sugar high, Mm -hmm. that's what we saw during that period. You saw a lot of increased investment. This was awesome. And now you're seeing that that first quarter numbers coming down and yes, it's still positive year over year. So just Mm -hmm. keep that in mind through all of this is as we talk about, is the economy going into recession? Are things you're worried about? These numbers are still positive. And the fact that you still have positive growth here based off of this as your comp Mm -hmm. is actually good, but we are seeing a shift in overall activity. Okay. Same with retail sales. This data just came out and it's at 3.4%. Retail sales is important to look at because 70% of the economy is consumers. If you're trying to figure out direction of growth, you got to be looking at this. 3.4% sounds good. Again, it's still growing, but you can see again on the chart, we were growing 6 7% with a historical average of 4 So you are starting to see a little bit less activity on the consumer side as measured by retail sales, which can put you a little bit on alert, but it's not to the point that it's negative or necessarily worrisome today. And again, you can look across other sectors. I won't dwell on this, but the auto sector starting to see a slowdown. Quite importantly, manufacturing, I need to move you a little bit here so you can see, manufacturing starting to see a little bit of a pullback. So Mm -hmm. broad-based, Fed is looking at all of these different indicators and saying things look slower and this makes us nervous. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, they're going to look at home sales. Mm-hmm. And this to me is one of the most interesting things because I think last time we spoke, Jason, it was before the fourth quarter slowdown and everyone said the housing market has just fallen off a cliff. Everything has slowed. This has become a disaster. And everyone pointed to the fact that rates had gone up to 5%. And they said 5% apparently is the threshold where buyers are just not going to buy homes anymore. And if you truly believe that argument and you see that we're actually down 125 basis points so far this year, I think my question is why are we not seeing the same kind of change in overall home sales activity in 2019? Right, and that 5% is totally arbitrary because it depends. You know, buyers will buy homes at 18% interest. We proved that in the late 70s, you know, to about 1980. It just depends on the price of the property. But they had appreciated so much in these high-end cyclical markets, the ones we don't like, the like where you live and I used to live, <laughs> you know, those markets are overvalued dramatically, yep. in my opinion. And so they, they needed a correction. They did. And I think it was, everyone was so focused on rates because it was the easiest reason for right. why the market was slowing at the end of last year. But we did research and we looked at Google searches 
of when people started to freak out about the housing market and look for quote unquote housing slowdown. And that peaked to the same week that we saw the media really change their tone on what's going on in the market. And all of a sudden CNBC was saying the housing market's crashing. And if you remember back to the great recession, you're like, okay, I'm not going to buy a house right now. And so I think there was actually more to do with media to do with sentiment than it was to rates because people were just genuinely freaked out about what was going on. Mm-hmm. But today we're year to date. So spring selling season, that's the hottest season for home builders. This is actually looking at existing home sales, which is 90% of the market. So the broadest share of home sales right now is down 5% year over year. And that's compared to 18 and 17, which is fine because those were really, really strong, robust spring selling seasons. To me, it's a little bit alarming that we are not back to 2016 levels because 16 just wasn't at the same feverish pace as we saw in 17 and 18. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we'll get, it's a different story when you get to new homes. So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. Okay. And so there's, you, you just kind of very casually mentioned a, a good metric for people to know when you're out there listening to the news media and uh, the how to lie with statistics, right? Which, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're always doing understand that 90% of the market in home sales is resales, existing homes, and about 10% is new homes. So that's a good thing to understand. And a lot of the, a lot of people, they're not really paying attention. You know, they'll say, oh, home sales are up and they forget to distinguish is it new homes or existing homes? Because with the new home market, it depends what the builders are building and they're not necessarily building the same type of home to match the existing inventory of course, well, of course they're not. So, uh, things can get askew there, but it's sort of complicated to tease that out. Go ahead. It is. And that's where there's opportunities with remodeling too, is we know that people prefer new homes, but if builders can't build homes in the right location or the right size, there are opportunities of going into the existing home market and actually bringing something that is competitive to what the builders are bringing to the space as well. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense to me. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional, and we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.